The Bully Girl Magazine podcast is your dog-eared audio destination, bookmarking the most compelling tales and insights from the vast canine universe. While we passionately dive into the world of bully breeds, dispelling myths, offering training tips, and discussing breed standards, our scope isn't limited. We cast our net wide to encompass a diverse range of dog breeds, ensuring no tale is left untold. Enhanced by expert interviews and inspiring stories, this podcast is a beacon for responsible ownership and breed education. It's where bully breed enthusiasts meet the broader dog-loving community, fostering unity, understanding and share joy in every bark and wag. So whether you're out walking your dog or listening at home, be sure to enjoy the show and keep coming back. So glad you're listening to the Bully Girl Magazine podcast, and I am over the moon excited for our guest today. His name is Ken Foster. He's written some incredible books. He's done a lot of writing. And this book right here, I'm going to hold it up for a good few seconds, I think should be read by everybody in the world because people who don't understand pit bulls would understand Pitbulls. It was so beautifully written. And Ken, it is such an honor to have you on. Welcome. Thank you for having me. You know, I took about 500 pages of notes. Okay, I'm exaggerating, but I I don't want to give away the whole book. You know, when you're interviewing an author, and especially in these dog ear type interviews that I do here on this podcast, uh, I like to, you know, get want them to get the book. So I'll do my best not to spill all of the beans. But in the introduction you write, by the time I learned what a Pitbull really was, it was too late. I was already in love. When did you first experience the joy and magic of pit bulls? Uh, it was back in like a long time ago. Um, <laughs> I I fell in love with dogs in general in the fall of 2000 um, when I was living in Costa Rica on a farm and a dog adopted me basically. Um, and then when I came back, I wanted to get a dog and I lived in the East Village and I was watching everybody with their dogs in that neighborhood. Um, and there was a particular kind of dog that I didn't know what it was, but it was so into its owners and so wanting to always engage with their owner. And I was like, you know, I need to find out what kind of dog that is. And I walked past somebody one day on the street and they said it was a pit bull. And I was like, I mean, because I've heard of pit bulls, but I just right. didn't. I didn't, you know, literally like so many other people, didn't really know what they actually were. So I was like, oh, hmm. Um, and then I, you know, then I adopted a dog from the shelter that was supposedly was a pit bull, but then turned out to maybe not be. Um, because as you know, shelters always misidentify breeds and yeah, dogs from shelters grow into completely different things. <laughs> <laughs> But he kind of, in spite of the fact that he might not have been a pit bull, he made me a pit bull advocate. Um, and so that was, you know, in you know, January of 2001. So it's been a couple decades now. Um, yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. In the book you write, does the fact that people question our pit bull love make it that much more intense? And you go on to say, all forbidden love from Romeo and Juliet on down the line. Each time anyone questions or just approves, disapproves of our love, we defiantly love each other even more than before. But I think like most pit bull owners, I know that my love of Sula had to do with more than this. Tell us about Sula. Sula was my first actual pit bull. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and she was a dog that I, I was teaching in Florida at the university the, I was about to say the University of Florida, which is not where I was teaching. I was teaching at Florida <laughs> State and um, opened my door one day and there was a, a pit bull wandering around in the neighborhood. Um, I think she was sort of hanging out in front of a neighbor's house and um, 
and but she but she did I, I knew she didn't belong to anybody um and i tried to see if she belonged to maybe one of the houses that i didn't know and she just sort of appeared out of nowhere and um when i tried to find an organization that would help me nobody would help me because she was a pit bull <sighs> so i um you know ended up with her uh and she was very you know she was very attached to me and to my other dogs um in the way that pit bulls frequently are <laughs> <laughs> yes. um and so yeah so she was my first pit bull and and um and i ended up you know ended up moving from there to mississippi with her and from mississippi to new orleans and we got to new orleans just before hurricane katrina and evacuated with um me and my other dogs i i uh, my first dog, Brando, the one who was the imitation pit bull <laughs> and um, a Rottweiler mix named Zephyr. Uh, but the, the morning that we were evacuating, Sula got loose and I had to chase her through the streets, uh, you know, uh, completely terrifying. Um, but we went through all of that together and then, you know, came back to New Orleans when we could. Um, but again, I think, you know, the things that we go through with our dogs and no matter whether you're in a truly melodramatic situation like a hurricane or just daily life, those are the things that make us bond to each other even even more. Um, it, yeah. yeah, it's so true. I do want to jump into Katrina, but before that, this made me laugh because I think the same thing. Quote, what did I do before Pitbull? Sometimes I can't remember no matter how hard I try. I went to the movies. I found the time to read every magazine to which I subscribed. I wrote books and magazine articles in which not a single animal appeared. I traveled incessantly. <laughs> but I don't recall much joy in any of those things. A Pitbull is expecting more than just being a pet. So eventually I rearranged my priorities to fit them in. It's so true. Blue is so demanding. I mean, when he wants to cuddle, you try to move. He just bears down. <laughs> you know, we're cuddling. Like... <laughs> And if yeah. he wants something, he cries for it. He's not a big barker unless there's a squirrel in the yard. But when he wants your attention, he's going to get it. And then he just melts your heart at the same time. Uh, there's, uh, I don't know if you can hear it, but there's a dog whining yes. at my door uh, who is one of those dogs. Uh, you know, oh. I mean, his, his name is Buster. And he's a three-legged, brindle, little bull who, um, you know, he knows that I'm talking to somebody and it somehow doesn't involve him. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, you know, like, let me in. I think I need to be part of this. <laughs> well, when I got oh. my first dog, my parents talked about like the shifting of responsibilities that is a wonderful thing. Um, my parents were like, what, like, you know, what are you going to do? You won't be able to just travel at the drop of a hat. You'll have to, you know, you'll have these responsibilities. You won't be able to do whatever you want. And at that point, I'd been doing whatever I wanted for a long time. And I was kind of like, you know, maybe... <laughs> Maybe it would be a good thing for me to actually not have the ability to just do whatever I want from moment to moment, you know, to have something yeah. that makes me feel like I need to plan and prioritize and all that stuff. Because when I was just a single person living alone, you know, it was always all about me, yeah. <laughs> which is not, uh, is not the most healthy way of living, I don't think, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. No, I know they definitely keep us on our toes. Now in chapter one, you ask what's in a pit bull and you ask this great question, what is a pit bull anyway? All right. So can you tell us about this? Cause that was fascinating to read. Um, I, I mean, one of the things putting this book together, just going back a little bit to Sula and sure. my first pit bull. And I wrote a book 
um, called The Dogs Who Found Me, which is a memoir about becoming a dog person, um, which has, you know, all those first dogs of mine and many dogs that sort of temporarily lived with us before finding a home somewhere else. Um, And because of that book and because I put Sula on the cover of that book, a lot of Pitbull people got that book because, you know, they would tell me, like, I saw this book with a dog that looked like my dog on the cover, which Mm -hmm. they'd never seen on a book before. Um, And it made me realize, like, you know, like how underrepresented the huge population of people who have and love Pitbull-type dogs are. And I really wanted to do a book about just Pitbulls, but nobody would do it for years and years and years. Um, And then after I'd given up on the idea, um, a book packager contacted me about doing the book that we ultimately did, I'm a Good Dog. Um, But by that time, I'd also learned a lot and traveled a lot and done events with different people that work with Pitbulls. And so I realized like that, you know, if you're doing a book about pitbulls, you have to answer the question, what is a pitbull? And that's a really tricky question to try to answer. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, and so there are a lot of aspects of writing the book, ultimately, that that um, were challenging. But, you know, a good challenge with when you're writing is is always both terrifying and also gives you, like, a, something to focus on. Um, so talking about what is a pitbull, uh, you know, with a key thing, and then but also something that I continued talking with, um, you know, other experts about, because it's like, okay, like, how do you actually answer this question? Is a pit bull, you know, the traditional pit bull, which is very different from what we see today, or is a pit bull, you know, any dog that somebody might identify as a pit bull, whether they're actually a pit bull or not, or is it, you know, there's a whole range in between those two things that people might call a pit bull, but, what is a pit bull really? And am I and am I speaking only for the purebred pit bull, or am I speaking for dogs like my old dog Brando, who everyone called a pit bull even though he wasn't? You know. Right. <laughs> speaking of pit bulls, you can let your dog in. I'd love to see. Is you said it, Buster? Buster, yeah. yeah I'm worried that he he's gonna. Um, oh. Because we're in a. I told you earlier, but not while we were recording, but I'll tell everybody now. I just moved. So I'm recording this in a room full of unpacked boxes. Oh, yeah, that's Um, probably not the best. And he's not going to get into anything, but like, I'm not sure how I'll be able to show him. Yeah, I understand. I understand. um, I might break down anyway, though, because he's very insistent. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. You know, I wanted to, to mention that. I started the show by showing the book, forgetting that there's audio as well. So again, the book is I'm a Good Dog, Pitbulls, America's Most Beautiful and Misunderstood Pet. This book is absolutely phenomenal. I want to go into some of the people that you featured in the book. And one of them was Diane Jessup. And I'm so glad you included her because she talked about breeders and she said, uh, the single biggest challenge facing our breed is the unfortunate belief that breeding is somehow bad. You have people out there who say they are pro pit bull with bumper stickers that say things like save a pit bull, kill a breeder. An ethical breeder puts stewardship of the breed ahead of their own gain or goal, she says. They do not do not produce animals for the simple purpose of resale. And when I, you know, took on this position, you know, the magazine covers a lot of breeders. And at first I thought, well, I'm a big rescue person, but then I read the stories and I've gotten to know a lot of them through interviewing them on the show. And they are doing such an incredible job. And some people want a puppy. You you can't 
force people to go to a shelter. You can encourage it. Get a puppy or even an adult dog from a rescue group because rescues are so picky. They would rather keep a dog in boarding than give it to a home, (laughs) you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, And and yeah, I mean, I went through the same, I think, sort of um, trip journey through those questions about, you know, um, overbreeding is a problem. And especially mm-hmm. with pit bulls, because so many of them end up in shelters and all that stuff. Uh, but that doesn't mean that all breeders are doing it wrong or right. not finding homes for the dogs they are breeding. And also, I mean, there are a lot of people that like feel like there should be no breed, no animals should be allowed to breed at all. No, no dogs or cats because there are too many of them. And it's like right. but then there were. I mean, like if you're talking literally, then there would be no dogs or cats. <laughs> And we like yeah. dogs and cats, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. So like this sort of absolutist um, attitude, it doesn't really solve any problem. Although it's something that I think in this country, everything is always in absolutes. Like everything is either absolutely wonderful or terrible. And there's no <laughs> way in between when actually everything is in between, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> That's a really um, good point. Yeah. And so I wanted to, you know, it's, it's funny because one of the things that I think as a writer and maybe just as a person is interesting about pit bulls is that there is such a wide range of yeah. opinion, which sometimes is upsetting when we're the pit bull lovers. Right. Um, but I think it's also fascinating because so much of it doesn't really have to do with the dogs themselves. Um, and I wanted to capture some of that in this book. Um, the, the people that I was doing the book with who ultimately like wanted to do this book really wanted everything to be totally, um, you know, positive about everything and I was like like that seems kind of um unrealistic you know like they didn't even want me to mention even in passing that some people don't like pit bulls or you know there's dog fighting or anything like that and I was like like I feel like we can't really tell the whole story if we don't mention it at all we don't need to like focus on that but sure we can't pretend that it doesn't exist um yeah and also with Diane Jessup you know, she's a very controversial figure in the pit bull world, um, but she is a figure in the pit bull world, you know, yeah. <laughs> to include her. And she was very skeptical and very um, difficult to get a response from. Uh, and yeah, but I was just like, you're like, I'm including you in this book. So, you know, yeah. tell me what you want me to say you've said, or I will, you know, work with what I can find, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm so glad that she responded because I thought it was really important information. Another person you include is uh, Janice Bradley, the author and dog trainer at the Dog Training Internship Academy. And she said, quote, to call a dog a pit bull is completely meaningless for at least three reasons. Can you tell us just a little bit about this? Again, I want people to get the book. If you want all the reasons, you got to get I'm a good dog. <laughs> um, can you, sorry, can you repeat the quote again? Oh, it was to call a dog a pit bull is completely meaningless for at least three reasons. Oh, I, um, Janice is, like you said, is a dog trainer. Um, she used to work at the, um, the academy in San Francisco. She actually works now for the, um, National Canine Research Council. Oh, cool. um, Which investigates sort of breed prejudice, but also investigates, um, dog fatality incidents to undercover, to, to, look at exactly what the actual causes are rather than just the perceived breed of a dog. Right. Um, 
So she is, a, you know, a great source of information and also a great source of finding just the, um, you know, looking at things w without prejudice, I guess you could say. Oh, I like um, that. And so for a lot of people, you know, dog labels, and I talk about this in the book, um, you know, labeling a dog by breed is, um, you, you can hear my dog, can't you? I'm sorry. Like, He's just so cute. Like, he really just... wants to be in this conversation. <laughs> he is in the conversation. <laughs> but labeling a dog by breed in many ways is arbitrary and meaningless. Um, and some of the research that she has done also involves um, how much is any breed predictable for the qualities that it's supposedly bred for. Right. Um, and, and it's a very relatively small percentage of dogs within any breed that possess the um, characteristics that the breed is known for. <laughs> yeah. We're always, you know, surprised, like, oh, it's a Labrador who, you know, doesn't like to, you know, do what Labradors supposedly do, or it's a hunting oh, yeah. dog, but he's terrible at hunting. Isn't that funny? Um, <laughs> um, but that's the thing. I mean, like, dogs are dogs. And I think I say at one point, too, it's, you know, like, whatever our dog, our favorite dog breed is, has right. probably the same characteristics. When we talk about, like, why I love a pit bull, it's like, there's no right. affection in it. They're so devoted to us. They let, like, And these are the things that everybody says about whatever their dog breed right. is. Right. You know? like, oh, my gosh. Exactly. And I love in the book that you include, uh, here are some of the things that are not true of a pit bull. Pit bulls do not attack like sharks or do anything like sharks do. Pit bulls do not have locking jaws, double jaws, or the ability to exert any more pressure than any other type of dog. Pit bulls' brains are not too large for their skulls. Pit bulls were not bred for one any one specific purpose. And you just sort of mentioned this, but I want to read this quote because I love it. So what is a pit bull? A pit bull is exuberant, affectionate, loyal, blockheaded, athletic, ridiculous, occasionally stubborn. Oh, we know that. Challenging, rewarding, and loved. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I mean, and there's so many myths that just get repeated. Oh. I mean, and this is true of things that aren't pit bulls also, but like, like people will say, you know, that they have jaws like a shark. And it's like, like, think about it just for a minute, but nobody, <laughs> everyone just repeats it because they heard somebody else say it or they saw it in right. an article and the person in the article repeated it because they saw it somewhere else. But it's like, what could possibly be an accurate comparison between, a, you know, the jaws of a dog that are like this right. and a shark? Like, how are they the same? So um, but people say that still. Um, and also the whole idea that like their brain, I hear this. I haven't heard it in a while, but I used to hear it all the time. There's a certain age when their brain goes grows too big for their skull, and that's when they go crazy. Oh, it's so like, sad. I'm laughing, I mean, but it's, it's, I can cry like, instead. They like, okay, think about this for a minute, and then they almost all the time they would be like, oh yeah, I guess that doesn't really make sense, does it? Like you know? No, <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> now I do want to jump into Katrina. I had I didn't realize this, but. You talked about the fact that there was so many animal lovers coming from around the country to help and that they encountered pit bulls on this huge scale. And many of them had only heard the horrible myths about pit bulls. Talk to us about how that changed perception on a lot of levels. It was one of the, I mean, Katrina and the aftermath was horrible. Of course. But this was one of the positive things that ultimately came right. out of the bank. Lots of people came to help. Lots of people came because they you know, liked dogs or they saw that, you know, they saw these stranded animals on the news. Um, but a lot of them, you know, didn't know 
pit bulls at all. And the majority of the dogs that were left behind and had to be rescued and rehomed ultimately were pit bulls. So the, yeah. they, you know, they got there and they were like, oh, I'm working with these dogs. And, um, and they fell in love with them. Um, yeah. And I talked to people from, you know, all over the place that had come down or still there or, you know, came down over the course of that following year. Um, and like everybody loved the pit bulls and everyone was surprised, you know, like, because they just didn't have the experience before from wherever they came. A lot of them didn't really even have necessarily experience working with dogs other than their own dog, whatever that was. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but if they were going to help the dogs in new Orleans, they were going to be helping pit bulls and they were going to be taking turns, walking pit bulls to get them exercise. And, um, and they all, you know, a lot of them, left with a pit bull. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there, it was fun because I was, when I first started working with the sort of reformulated shelter that they put up back in New Orleans when they could, and it was just in an abandoned coffee uh, warehouse um, with makeshift kennels set up and things like that. And I had to go away at one point and I was feeling kind of worried that, um, you know, like, you know, who's going to take care of the pit bulls when I'm not there? Um, and, you know, and they were fine. They were, you know, like I came back and saw like my favorite dogs being walked by, you know, these little women from out of town who had come in while I was away mm -hmm. and they were all having a great time. And I was like, you know what, like, it's okay. I don't like, I'm not the person who's saving all the dogs. So it's a group <laughs> effort. <laughs> That's true. Well, tell us about Daisy and uh, the people who adopted her, uh, Jean and Neil Nutter. Um, Daisy is a dog that um, was, she was adopted from uh, Bad Rap in, um, in Oakland, California. And um, Bad Rap is a great organization that um, is really one of the earliest groups to work with and advocate for pit bulls. The, the name stands for Bay Area uh, Dog Owners. Now, it's so long since they've used oh, that's, it. It's a great name. Bay though. Area Dog Owners um, Responsible About Pit Bulls. That's what it was oh, initially. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Well, it works. Um, and, um, and they also were one of the groups that took some of Michael Vick's dogs. There's another dog in the book, Uba, who oh, I write yeah. about, who was one of Michael Vick's dogs, who I um, was in love with when I met him. Um, and that's a whole other story, obviously. Yeah. Um, but Daisy was adopted by an older couple. Um, and they, you know, like many people, they weren't pit bull people until they met Daisy. Mm -hmm. um, and... Um, and then, you know, later, um, the husband passed away. And so that's, I don't think that's in the book, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, um, but then Daisy meant even more to, um, her remaining adopter. I bet. Um, and they had, they were like, they had, they were like vintage car lovers. Oh. So there, there are pictures of Daisy riding in a vintage car in the book. Oh, just remembering. I love that. Yeah. Um, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. Um, but there are other, there, the other thing that I did in the book, as you're, you're mentioning with all these stories is the, um, you know, the, the sort of, it's 
four sections on sort of the broad aspects of Pitbull history and life. Yeah. Um, but then there are these individual pieces that are about specific dogs and specific uh, dog owners, essentially. Um, one of the ones that came up was um, was Dr. Seuss. Yeah. Somebody told me that Dr. Seuss had a pit bull when he was a kid. And I was like, that would be amazing, but I don't want to say that. I don't want to say that in the way that people say pit bulls have jaws like sharks. <laughs> <laughs> Unless I can find, like, actual true evidence. Because I don't right. want to be like, that's not true. It was a, you know, it was a Labrador. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so I started trying to find a picture of Dr. Seuss as a child with a, his pit bull. And it was interesting because I was doing research using the terms like Dr. Seuss and Pitbull and nothing came up. And finally I was like, maybe I should search for a picture of Dr. Seuss and dog. Uh, yeah. And then I found a picture of him with a dog that is a Pitbull. <laughs> 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 um, but um, then we had to get permission to use it and I had to hunt down his oh. nephew um, to get the permission. It was interesting too, because the, the publisher technically was supposed to be able to do that part of the job for me. And they were like, <laughs> Can't, you, we haven't been able to figure it out. And so then I was just like, okay, I'm going to find his nephew and contact him. See, that's and awesome. I, I, I Google, I was Googling around trying to see like, can I find somebody who seems to be his nephew and found somebody with the right name who ran a green construction company, which was like, that sounds like something Dr. Seuss's nephew would do. <laughs> um, and so he like took a chance, like, you know, let, let me see if this might be actually be him. <laughs> <laughs> Passed the information along to the publisher who then was like, okay, yeah, we got the permission. Oh, so. I'm so glad. Well, you know, I loved reading that Mary Tyler Moore had a pitbull spanky and he was so in tune with her that he was able to alert her when her blood sugar was low. I mean, I've always, I grew up watching, you know, Mary Tyler Moore show and I loved it. And so just to know that she had a pitbull and that was really great. When Another, I... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, when I was adopting that first dog, Brando, who people thought was a pit bull, I, I adopted him from a shelter in Brooklyn. And while I was there, the person who was doing my adoption took a phone call. Um, and um, it was, basically, the phone call was from Bernadette Peters, oh, who was yeah. telling her that she was going to come by with Mary. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And that's when, I, that's when I first learned that the two of them were big not just big animal people, but big pit bull people. Oh, um, nice. And so, the, you know, I carried that with me. And Bernadette Peters is also in the book. Um, yeah, I love her. With a photograph. And that was hard to get to because I, I contacted her manager and said, you know, like, I'm doing a book on pit bulls. I know she's a big pit bull advocate. I'd love to include a photograph of her with her dog. And he was like, well, you know, she, she has a book about her dog. So why would she want to be in your book? Oh. And I was kind of like, well, because... My book is another book that has other readers. Like, <laughs> Hello. And it, it, for a long time, you just kept saying no. And I'm like, I felt like, you know, she's going to, she's such a pitfall person. Like, she probably will see my book when it comes out. And she will probably think, why was I not asked to be in this? You know? That's right. They have a whole, they have a couple pages on, you know, famous people who have pitfalls or had pitfalls. Why aren't I there? Yeah. And then somehow I convinced him to actually ask her and the answer was yes, you know, but that's the, oh. that's the difficulty in dealing with famous people is that they yes. sometimes answer things for them. Right. Answer incorrectly. Yeah, that is <laughs> true. I'm going to let the beast in. 
He's oh, good. Hold on yeah. just a second. I got to see this baby. In the meantime, again, everybody go out and get this book. I'm a good dog. Pitbulls, America's most beautiful and misunderstood pet. Just spend a little time with the pit bull. You're going to fall in love. I mean, that's just the bottom line. They're just fabulous, fabulous dogs. Buster, do you want to come up? Let me see you, Buster. Buster. Come on, Buster. I have to see that cutie pie. You I might have not to be able to get the... up here because I'm on the oh. bed. Oh, that's okay. In the meantime, Melissa's with you. Have the leg power to get up here. <laughs> In the meantime, I will. Uh, I will continue. I do love how you talk about the history of pit bulls in service. I did an interview years ago uh, for a different show about Sergeant Stubby. I want to have her back. I love that you talk about the sporting dog, uh, sporting dogs, and Wallace. I, I, there's just so much great stuff in the book. I, you know, when I was reading about the Michael Vick stuff, which every time just I get so sick inside. Uh, this, I was shocked to learn that even the Humane Society of the United States and PETA, PETA suggested that the remaining dogs be killed. And they all but two, right, were rehomed. And I've actually been in touch with Jim Garant about the lost dogs and oh, the found yeah. dogs. And yeah, I'm hoping he'll come on. So they're just so resilient and so amazing, these pit bulls. It, right. I, I mean, that, that's one of the things about, you know, cases where there may be dog fighting and some of the dogs might be aggressive to humans. Um, but a lot of the dogs aren't necessarily even youth as part of the fighting you know they're yeah. side dogs or they're used to breed to create more dogs and so without evaluating them you can't really say what their condition is or what their um, quality is or what their um, personality is obviously and yet <clears throat> for a long time it's changed not everywhere but most places i think now because of the big case and some other large cases um now he's getting into a pug. <laughs> of course he is. <laughs> um, but so they, um, they now do get evaluated before any decision is made about where or how or whether to place them somewhere. Um, but PETA, PETA's always been very anti-pitbull because Ingrid, who founded PETA, says that she was bit by a pitbull when she was younger um, oh. on the leg. Um, and, you know, every time she's told the story, it's a slightly different story. Interesting. Um, but she will republish in any newspaper where there's a bad dog attack, an essay that advocates for all pit bulls being euthanized. Um, and oh my that, God, that's <clears> horrific. And um, the logic that she uses is that the only way to protect them from abuse is to euthanize them, which is crazy. You know? That is awful. And when my book, The Dogs You Found Me, came out and got a lot of attention, she contacted me and was like, maybe we could do something together. And I'm like, I don't think we could because you are not an advocate of pit bulls. Right. And she's like, well, it's okay. I'm okay with you having pit bulls. And I was like, that, that's not good for me. That's like. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're going to come take my blue? Yeah, just try. <laughs> anyway, oh so that's, a whole, that's a whole other yeah. thing. But that's, again, like the, as a subject matter, the fact that even. There are even people who claim to be animal advocates but do not advocate for this particular animal is one of the things that drew me to it as a subject. Um, yeah. Because it's like, you know, these all these pieces do not make sense, you know? Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that is absolutely horrible. You know, there's so much great information in the book, but again, I don't want to give away the whole thing. I do want to talk about uh, in the afterward, you write, 
when I lost my Sula, I wasn't prepared for the hole that was created. Uh, so much of the rhythm of my life had been created around her. Losing her was like losing a limb. Writing this book was a way to try to fill that space up again. And you go on to say, when you fall in love with the pit bull, there's no turning back. Who you are changes because what they teach you and because of what we need to do to protect them. I have so much anticipatory grief about Blue. I can't even tell you. I'll just start crying. My husband's like, what's wrong? And I'll be like, Blue is good. He goes, hon, you got to enjoy him while he's here. I said, I know, but I've talked to dog experts and, and behaviors and everything. They're like, it's totally normal. Anticipatory grief is real. It's not like it happens all the time. It's just once in a while. But I just love him so much. I mean, my husband actually calls him another limb because he's always on me. And um, yeah, I, I just, it's so hard. Yeah, it is. And it's the worst part of having a dog. Yes. And yet it's the essential part of having a dog is that we always know unless something happens to us, we're going yes. to outlive them. Yeah. Um, and we do it over and over again, you know, in many yeah, cases. I, I, in the past little over a year, have lost um, five dogs. Oh, my God. Because I because I was living with eight dogs, <laughs> which is crazy. Oh wow, that sounds a like story. Paradise. Probably a book that I'm starting to. Yes, work on. exactly. But um, and it was you know it was awful, and yet it was like I was in a constant state of uh, both actual grief and anticipatory grief because I I took in a bunch of dogs temporarily, and some of them came back to me. And I didn't realize that I was going to end up having them all for the rest of their lives. But then at a certain point, I realized that that probably was the case. And then I also realized that they all were essentially the same age, which meant that they would all be really old at the same time. Um, and so that's what happened is they all got really old and they all, oddly, because my earlier dogs all had particular issues that were chronic before they got old. So you kind of knew like, you don't necessarily know when this is going to happen, but it's going to have something to do with this issue, you know? Right. <laughs> um, these these all just got really, really old. And so it was, I was dealing with a whole bunch of problems that there isn't much of a solution to because it's being old. And it was yeah. all new to me as well because wow. I hadn't gotten there with my other dogs. Um, <clears throat> so it was, it was an intense year. Um, and I just moved. I mentioned earlier, I moved, mm. but now I live... Instead of in a house, I now live in an apartment with my three remaining dogs. Um, and it's like a whole new experience. Um, because we, I have to walk, we don't have a yard, so I have to walk them throughout the day. And they're obsessed with everybody in the neighborhood, particularly the construction crews at various work sites around <laughs> our neighborhood. Um, and so it's been, it's almost like a whole new, you know, experience of dog ownership, which has yeah. been great for them and for me. But it's also made me, renew my sense of how much I love them and also like how much like oh my god but I'm not gonna have that much longer like you know I, know. <laughs> I mean I say that Buster the dog that was uh knocking on the door to come into this interview <laughs> um I've had him for eight years about and he um he was a dog that was found in a abandoned in an apartment with just a bunch of cats living with him um and he was still very young then came into the shelter was really stressed out because he was stressed out he got kennel cough 
I fostered him, took him in to get neutered, and I was already thinking that I might keep him because my Rottweiler really loved him. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, then after his neuter, he started having um, kidney issues mm. that they think was a, you know, uh, congenital issue that was accelerated by the anesthesia. Uh -huh. Um, and so I was like, you know, like, okay, I'm definitely keeping him because nobody else is going to want this dog with a kidney issue because they also said like, he might only live a year at that point. Uh -huh. Um, he also turned out had a leg that had been broken when he was younger and never set. Uh -huh. So it healed wrong. And then as he grew, it broke again. So we had to take oh, the leg off. Baby. But the, but the, the happy kind of funny story is it's eight years later, he's still here. <laughs> uh, he's one of the ones that the other day I was like, I love him so much, but he's going to, you know, mm. one day he'll be gone. But, but yeah. at the same time, I'm like, wait a minute, that was supposed to happen like six or seven years ago. So. Yeah, that's incredible. Well, Ken, I want you to come back for all your books. Tell us the names of them, if you would, and I uh, hope you'll come back. Think about it. Uh, the first one, <laughs> actually, the, you know, I'd been writing fiction and I published a collection of short stories that was, you know, well-reviewed and sold okay, but not great. And the editor who did that book got a dog at the same time I got a dog. And so we started running into each other in the dog park. And she was like, you should write about dogs. And I was like, what a terrible idea. Um, and so the first book I did with her on dogs was called Dog Culture. And it was a collection of essays by me and other writers, because I was like, I don't, you know, like, I don't really know anything about dogs. Right. Um, and that book did not well, um, but over the course of working on it, she kept calling me to discuss it in different stages. And I always had a different extra dog in my house. Yeah. She was like, you should write about the fact that you're just like find dogs and then take them home and then, you know, figure out where to take them. And I was like, but I really don't even know what I'm doing, but I needed money. So I said, okay, I'll write that book. And then I realized that, that I could write the book from the point of view of somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. And that book is The Dogs Who Found Me, yes, um, which is a wonderful. memoir. And which I think people really appreciate because it is written from the point of view of someone who doesn't know what they're doing. <laughs> like, I'm not saying I, I know what everybody should be doing. I'm just saying right. like, and this, this happened and I tried to figure out what to do. Um, and so that was hugely successful. And then I did a follow-up to that book called Dogs I've Met and the People They Found. Yeah. Um, then I did um, the... Um, I'm a good dog, the, the book that we're talking about now. Yeah. And then a few years ago, I did a book called City of Dogs, which Love is about that. New York City and all the, I mean, we didn't do every neighborhood, but the five boroughs and the neighborhoods with the dogs and their families that um, talk about, you know, how their relationship with their dog influenced or changed their relationship with the community they live in. Um, and that has photographs by Cher Scott as well. So, oh, I love Cher. She's coming on uh, next week. Um, and so, She's great. yeah. So those are those are my dog books. And now I'm working on this book that I'm calling um, the House of Nine Dogs. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Oh my gosh, Ken, I want you to come on for all your books. You're so phenomenal. Thank you. Thanks. I mean, I'm just I'm so taken. Again, everybody, go out and get this. 
I'm a good dog. Send it to everybody and tell them this. It's a must read. I mean, just if you would just get to know Pitbull, you'd see how they're just dogs, but they're even better. They're just so amazing. But was there anything you wanted to add today, Ken? And of course, where we can find you and get your fabulous books. Um, well, my books are available, where, you know, as they say, wherever you buy books, you yeah. can get them through your local bookstore if you want to support them. Or you can go to Amazon or BarnesandNoble.com or, you know, any of the websites are able to order them for you as well. I also have a website myself that is KenFosterBooks.com, which um, has information on my books and also links to some other articles I've written um, and ways to contact me. And I'm on, you know, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook and all those other places. Not so much on Twitter anymore. Yeah, me too. It doesn't even call it Twitter anymore. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm around and easily found. So every now and then someone will contact me and be like, I've been trying to reach you. And it's like, I don't, like I'm not that hard to reach. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, um, I'm just so thankful. I'm so glad that you came me. on. Yeah, I'm it was super glad fun. To be included, and yeah. congratulations on this new um, new effort. I mean, it's not Venture. a new effort, but it's a shift yes. in yes, in, and I'm um, collaboration. Yeah. Really. Yes, and I'm so. very excited. And if you want to learn more, if you want to get some cool merch, there's shirts, there's hoodies, there's these awesome hats. Hello, little bully, or I should say, big bully. Uh, you can go to www.bgmwarehouse.com. Also, you follow at Bully Girl Meg. Follow me at Lisa Davis MPH on Twitter and TikTok. The funny thing is I built up my, I said Twitter, I meant Instagram. My Twitter is like the biggest platform that I built up and I was like, darn it. But anyway, um, so please help me. I just have a lot of activity on Twitter. And now, I mean, you know, you can see how many people have read your tweet and it, you know, has gone from like hundreds to like two. <laughs> so oh it's yeah. Like, it's not well, even, yeah. My 25,000 Twitter followers will have to come over and follow me on Instagram and also be sure to uh, go and get the Bully Girl mobile app. And that's it. And keep coming back because I'm loving this show. I, I mean, for me, yesterday was a dream come true. I got to talk to a wonderful influencer about pit bulls, Aaron Michael Lewis. And then today, and then I, I got to read a wonderful book about pit bulls. And I'm like, what can be better? But we do, we do all breeds on the show now. Uh, and we also do, uh, I mean, it's mostly bully breeds. So we're talking Frenchies, English Bulldogs, Mastiffs, Rottweilers. I just happen to have my heart is all pit bull, but you know, I can let all the other dogs in too. Anyway, everybody, thanks for listening and have a great day.